0: Lord God, as we have known that you must come as a child in order that you may know us and bring us to salvation, we pray that as we look to years past and as we look to the redemption of your coming again, you may help us in this moment, in our present lives, in the in-betweens of our lives of joy and sorrow, of certainty and uncertainty, that we will see your Christ child in our midst. Amen. I wanna begin by reading parts of a poem from one of my favorite poets and also a minister, Malcolm Geit. It is entitled, Angel Unawares. Some people say that life is just a given thing, but you and I both know by whom it's lent and that it's right here in the dirt where we've been both loved and hurt, that love himself has come to pitch his tent. Sometimes we're in the fields of holy roses, other times we're rolling in the tares, breaking bread and sharing wine. Did I feel your hand touch mine? Or did we both touch angels unawares? Everybody backs into the future. Everyone's just feeling for it blind. Sometimes we get lost and the threads of our lives get crossed, but I'm sure glad yours got tangled up with mine. The day is gone, and I know I should be going. There's barely light enough to say our prayers. Ah, but give leave the while for it to turn and see you smile and leave to love like angels unawares. When I think of the shepherds coming into that sacred and vulnerable space, seeing the baby, talking to Joseph and Mary, I think of this poem where the two are able to connect in such a way that regardless of our backing into the future or feeling for life and going at it blind, by simply a word, hearing, touching, being, we are confirmed in what Christ is doing, where God has been and what God will continue to do in our lives. But before we go into the gospel reading, and I'm probably going to move around more than I normally do, and I've only actually preached here once, so there you go. Um, I'm already doing it. Last time I was like, hey guys, let's talk. Um, I want to bring you back to imagine Mary. Mary, at this time before she comes to this place where she is able to give birth, she's laboring. Nine months earlier, in the first chapter of Luke, she is uh, come upon by an angel who shares the news of what will become of her, who this child will be. And she says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. A little bit later, going to see family, she then says, my soul rejoices. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. Now take this unknowing and this joy that she has in anticipation that this thing will be done to her. Yet, she's walking and laboring with Joseph to her, an unknown land, to her, a place where she does not know where she will be able to rest. And I can imagine the human heart wondering and thinking somewhat in fear, I know what the future holds, but is there enough within myself to get me there? Am I walking within the tares or am I walking amid the roses? The human heart, in its most vulnerable state, can sometimes feel that we ourselves are not enough to do the work that God has given us to do. And when she has had the child and these complete strangers in this completely strange place for her come, I believe that she is renewed because those that heard the words wondered at what they had heard, but she herself cherished them and pondered them in her heart. She was fed, she was restored to the promise that had been given to her and maybe there was some fear and doubt that she was enough to get it through. Now the space that she brought proved to me that I believe that when God comes and talks to us, my experience has been personally and reading through scripture that God comes to us in those in-between places and that whenever God is doing something new, he forces us also to look back to the work that he has already done. He doesn't do something out of innovation. He does something from his eternal word and sees it through that we may realize step by step by step of who we are, whose we are, and who we are becoming. I wanna start with uh, breaking a little bit of our our imagination and our artistic representation. All of the creches that we have seen in our life are wrong. (laughs) I'm sorry, Merry Christmas everyone. (laughs) Okay. I want you to reimagine a scene for me, okay? All of the studies, all I've been able to see, all I've been able to experience as a student but not professional archaeologist, I'm going to paint you a different picture. Bethlehem itself, if there was livestock in the area, it would not have been in the concentrated town. It would have been in those in-between places, not the fields where the shepherds tending their flocks, it would have been in the houses that were sparingly brought together. This chancel, or this open space up here, much smaller, maybe even half, the majority of the people built their houses using field stones, piled up, leaned against the rolling hills. Dirt-packed floors, or bedrock, themselves, would have been an open space for cooking, lying out and doing the work underneath the sun with an awning, maybe the manger that we're talking about is an open space on the floor with an awning where a couple of animals were tied to a post. When it says the inn, it actually also shares with us the spare room. Most houses had one or two rooms by which You would have laid on cushions or hay and straw, and the entire family would have laid down together to sleep. Can you imagine, then, with all of the things that were going on, to have the privacy to be able to give birth when it's already filled with a a bunch of families? No. Out of the kindness of being able to provide security, all they could have probably done was that, but I'm going to give you a separate image, which I actually think is the correct one these houses that were built upon the hill with the field stones plastered with limestone would have had in its opening, most likely, they're all over the place, a naturally born limestone cave that the weather itself would have opened up. And being able to then dig down and further and further and being able to open up little niches into the wall you could have placed Oil lamps or made food and water troughs out of the bedrock underneath the actual living space that you had. I want you to imagine Mary and Joseph finding this child in bands of cloth and laying them in a cave on a small bedrock personally hewn trough so that the baby could be secure. When I think of the image of his life and in his death, we remember that when he died, he was clothed in bands of cloth and lied in a limestone cave. From the very beginning, the animals themselves going underneath the earth in the protection of open space, from open space, there I believe they lied And at times, taking turns, the shepherds, the wise men, all of those that came to understand and to see this Christ child must have actually entered that sacred, but also, I would think, to us, a very scary and very tight space. God meets us in those in-between spaces. And I think that the fact that The shepherds are the ones that comes to tell Mary would have also provided her something to treasure and ponder in her heart because she must also hearken back to the importance of the shepherd throughout the words that we are given in Scripture. Modern scholars, I think, have also mistakenly given a very negative light towards shepherds. There's not much textual evidence other than the shepherds that were hired hands. They were not willing to sacrifice themselves for the good of the flock. Yeah, maybe they didn't really care much. If they were in our day, they would be taking your order while looking at their phone, being like, okay, whatever. But the majority of scripture is that you were willing to sacrifice yourself in the most intimate ways for things that you were given responsibility over. It's everywhere. Abraham himself in Genesis 13, when his blessed by wandering and trusting in God in the wilderness. His flocks grow. He separates from that time with Lot. Lot goes into Jordan. Abraham goes into Canaan. And it says that God blessed him, and those flocks continue to increase and grow. He was a shepherd of people. In Exodus chapter 3, Moses himself was a shepherd of the flocks of his father-in-law Jethro. And by actually going into that space, did he have that moment where he experienced God in the burning bush that then called him to be the shepherd of a people who were enslaved and to bring them into a place of freedom. And I'd like to add one of my favorites. It's not just simply David the shepherd who goes in between his father's house in Bethlehem in the land of Jesse, his father, but back and forth to a military camp bringing provision to his brothers, news to his father, and then trusting that his job as the little child, the little brother, was to take care of the flock. God himself, in Psalm 80, is called the shepherd of Israel. When the shepherds came to Mary, they were forced to come to that in-between space of what they were and what humanity wanted of themselves. By being able to share that message They were also able to point to a fact that I think that we still struggle with today. We think that we have a cozy home. We think that we've got it all figured out sometimes. But I wish to say, regardless of the buildings and the technology that we have, we are still wandering in the wilderness, my friends. And it is a good reminder that God has worked through the shepherds that all through that land, despite our lack of control, despite our ability to be focusing around things that are outside of our purview, That God is with us and God calls us into greater being if we just simply trust in Him. The land itself is something that is very important. If I'm correct about my uh, image of the crash being in that hilly land where the house is built against the hill and going underneath the ground into that cave, we are not necessarily in the wilderness and we are not necessarily in the city that we desire. The land of Bethlehem is a great example of a place that still uh, produced so many things that Jerusalem may actually thrive. It's called the land of bread, the land of food. It also hearkens us to understand the socio and political ramifications of that time too. Who was king at that time? Herod. Was Herod of the line of David? No who put him in power, a foreign power. Rome had placed him in power. And there are many people at that time that believed, as Father Stephen had spoken about last night, the desire to have a Davidic line brought back into the forefront where what people were focused on, that this is going to restore the kingdom of God. What I like to think is that we must also take a look at what Father Justin talked about the day before, or actually earlier in the morning, And judges said that everyone, (laughs) everyone, I'm guilty of this myself, did what they thought was right in their own eyes. On the one hand, the human spirit at that time, the individualistic pools that uh, cause us to uh, want to make our own ethics or do our own things, help somebody out, not do it, look at their phone, you know, all of that kind of stuff. That was part of the heart of humanity. But there was another aspect that I think, pulls us into the wrong direction. When we take a look at uh, 1 Samuel 8, 1 Samuel 8, before David is called up to be king, what happens? Those individuals, the people of Israel, asked that instead of the judges or having God as their king, that they would have a king so that they could be like every other land. I don't want to be just an individual. I also want to mimic what everybody else is doing. Sounds like a teenager, right? That's what, That was me. I wanted to be an individual, so I dressed just like my peer set. It was amazing. I think at times I scared my father, right? I think it was a hot topic at the time. Yeah, anyway, you can't even imagine. Yes, it was. It was a hot topic. All of these things here, it's no coincidence to me that they must have taken place in Bethlehem. The sacred space of the wilderness and the city converging, the desire for control and having none of it converging, the desire for an earthly king of the Davidic line, yes, but also recognizing that the Christ child himself is God, your king. You've rejected me as your king. I will be your king once again. That amazing promise. So Mary heard these things she saw these things. She cherished them, treasured them, and pondered them in her heart. So my question for us today as we celebrate this Christmas morn is to question those in-between spaces in our own lives. What is it like Mary that we may be feeling, though we have had that personal experience of God calling us into being, or that, that moment where we felt connected and personal relationship with Christ, sometimes those moments are great, but they can also feel fleeting. And then we wonder, was it real? Am I being delusional? (laughs) Is God still here speaking to us? What is it that will help bring us back into the forefront of God's purview? Help us to see God uh, in a very intimate and renewed way. In our political situations across the world, Israel, Ukraine, people hungry all the time, it's easy for us to look and to read, to listen, to feel like we can't do anything. Or it's easy for us to think that we can despair just because people in our own family, when we have our Christmas dinner tonight, might not agree on every little thing. It's (laughs) it's amazing what we can do. What do we do with those in-between spaces? For us, I believe, whether we have our personal prayer practices or our corporate time together, Regardless of these walls and these lights and this beautiful space, how is it that Christ is shown to us anew, just like the babe in the manger? I would like to think that we can look together as a family at what we do in a different way. Whenever the elements, the wine and the bread, are brought forward, think of it as the wise men bringing forward gifts to Christ. Whenever we see the altar, yes, we think, Of Christ's sacrifice, but maybe we can think of it as the place where the child took its first breaths and was laid to rest in the midst of Mary and Joseph. Maybe when we come forward and we see the candles and the light, we can think of the darkness of the world and the promise that light will come and strengthen and get stronger and stronger until that coming again when the full realization of our brokenness is shattered and we are restored in the way that God has originally called us to be. Despite ourselves, we know who we are and whose we are. We are children of God made in his image. Where is it that you see wonderment? Can we spend this time to wonder more deeply than we have before? Where is it that you see and hear God and Christ? Is it in the words that we speak or the scriptures that we read? Is it the love and the patience and the presence that we show? Where is it that you treasure God most deeply and ponder him in your heart? Let us focus on these things today before we come up together, as we recite our faith together in the creed, as we receive Christ and we remember Christ in the body and the blood, as we share in our prayers, as we go about this place rejoicing in the power of the Spirit, What is it that you treasure? What is it that calls you to ponder deeply so that you may see Christ anew in your midst? Let us pray that we are able to answer that question with wonderment and peace. Amen.